Hello and welcome to the IMB podcast brought to you by the Communications Office and Student Media Cell of IIM Bangalore. The new podcast series aims to become a platform to discuss the latest business, economic, management and social issues that matter. The podcast will witness IIM Bangalore fraternity including but not limited to the faculty members, students and alumni who provide their insights and perspectives to the topics and issues that surround us. Gender differences exist in STEM education as well as jobs. In today's podcast, we will discuss the explanation for these differences. Is it the re- result of personal preferences or due to societal stereotyping? We will look at the topic through the international as well as the national lens, focusing on the current initiatives taken to reduce this gap and what can be done in the future. To shed more light on the topic, today we have with us Professor Neelam Kaushik. an assistant professor in the strategy area at IIM Bangalore who is also the IMB young faculty research chair welcome professor neelam to the IMB podcast it is a pleasure to have you here with us for this episode hey yeah thanks abhijit thanks for having me and um, you guys at the smc are doing a great job uh, with um, you know introducing new speakers and different ideas so this is a great initiative good job guys Thank you, ma'am. Uh, so I'll just dive right into the questions. Sure. Uh, yeah. So recent stats from the UN have suggested that less than thirty percent of world scientists are women. Why do gender differences in STEM enrollment and labor market pass- participation around the world prevail even in the twenty-first century? Right. So I mean, we'll perhaps take a step back and talk a little bit about. general patterns in labor market participation by men and women um so the two broad sets of economic classifications um are around you know supply side and demand side so on the supply side there are differences in human capital accumulation so differences in education attainment um although this we we've, we've been making strides in narrowing the the gender gap in educational attainment in recent decades uh, that has been um, a prevailing explanation for a long time um then there are constraints uh, by family life and uh, you know women having to bear the burden um of a lot of responsibilities and also with child rearing responsibilities um disproportionately so in certain areas of the world than in um, perhaps in the more developed parts of the world then um there are also explanations around women's sort of general innate preferences for certain kinds of work um and i'll talk more about this perhaps um later on on the supply side there are also explanations around differences in confidence and self efficacy and um Uh, interesting recent research suggests that there are gender differences also in preferences for competition on the demand side we tend to have factors like homophily um discrimination referral based hiring uh, which disadvantages women as well as lack of uh, female role models in certain occupations and there's a vast literature in psychology social psychology sociology economics uh, you name it gender and women studies and even management areas uh, tend to look at these kinds of topics in management we look at um, disparities at in the top leadership positions so that's give a general sense of the kinds of 
explanations in in general labor market participation and why there are disparities in stem areas in particular um you know again lots of these uh, explanations um, do hold but uh, perhaps we'll start with a very layman's explanation and this is not to say that the literature puts this forth but um in, you know in, in very layman's terms people tend to think that perhaps women are simply no good at science or they underperform um in comparison to men although an overwhelming number of studies around the world show that there's hardly any substantive gender gap in math performance in in uh, in high school or middle school um though we do know that in terms of spatial orientation which is correlated with performance in stem subjects um boys tend to do uh, a tad bit better than girls but that's not to say that this gap cannot be narrowed in any way and this is in no way an impediment because through lego toys and puzzles that improve spatial abilities and orientation uh this gap can significantly be be narrowed so so this explanation really doesn't hold that women are any less or any less capable um another important rather a, a more scientific explanation from uh psychology is perhaps that interest is a significant predictor of um outcomes in stem right and of participation and enrollment um where um there's the famous predigger framework which suggests that men tend to be more oriented towards things uh, and women tend to be more people oriented which explains um labor market outcomes and why women tend to sort into certain um professions like healthcare and nursing uh whereas men tend to be more oriented towards um you know the the sciences or engineering in in particular um and yet another explanation is that uh, very simply women uh may feel that there is a gender role incongruity and uh, that basically just unpack what it means is that their the roles that they perform in certain occupations particularly in stem in this case um the, those roles and those activities are incongruent to their gender identity right and um and this can disadvantage women if they perceive this kind of incongruity or if they are told that uh, you know this kind of a profession engineering is not for women so there's a lot of social and cultural norms around um what uh women and men and girls and boys are told from a very very early stage um an explanation that i talked about earlier was the lack of female role models now engineering being a, a very male dominated area traditionally and it has several military references the socialization and the kind of role models in stem areas particularly in engineering are are very um uh, male oriented and so it's it's it can be very easy to think that well you know this i don't really belong here um and and yet another explanation is that one even once they enter you know stem areas women may face what we call a stereotype threat and this tends to get activated um the moment uh you know the women or certain minorities racial minorities tend to perceive bias um in while performing and this can lead to Uh, underperformance in in stem related subjects and also in stem related careers in fact um, there's a study from the key global workforce insights which 
suggests that about 80% of Indian women report uh, to have faced gender bias in their performance evaluations. Um, and yet another explanation uh, from very recent work by um, Murakano Gorov at, at Stanford University suggests that uh, capable women right, tend to underrepresent their skills in the labor market. And the implications of this are very clear. If they are underrepresenting their skills, they are less likely to be called for an interview and therefore they reduce their chances of getting hired. So in a, in a nutshell, um, there, are, there are several explanations and to disentangle the supply from the demand and to tease apart one particular explanation and say that this is the, the most salient explanation is very, very difficult, as you can imagine, because the supply and demand side factors are um, are quite they can they can be confounded. And um, it's just very difficult to, to separate this, especially since preferences and, and things like um, you know social norms tend to uh, be heavily ingrained in very early stages of um, a, a, a child. A child's, uh, you know, schooling, and then these tend to get strengthened over time as um, a person develops. Right, so it's hard to then change after a certain point. Um, so that, in a nutshell, um, might explain why. I mean, I, I gave us, <laughs> I give several explanations, but um, I guess in a nutshell, it's hard to pinpoint one, um, uh, one particular explanation, and say this is this is why. Um, there are fewer women in this area uh, in comparison to men. Yeah. So, ma'am, uh, as you discussed, uh, interest in STEM being a possible explanation is quite interesting to hear. And this leads me to a recent article by The Hindu, where it was mentioned that about 43% of STEM graduates in India are women, but women's share in STEM jobs in India is just 14%. What do you think are the reasons contributing to this disparity? Do you think gender stereotyping of jobs play a role in this? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, actually. Um, so in India, I guess good news is uh, that it, I'll give you a start with numbers in the U.S. So in comparison to the U.S., we have about 43 percent um, female enrollees in, uh, in STEM and actually female graduates, which is even a better outcome, you know, because considering that there might be attrition. And so these graduates are, uh, despite this, uh, after this attrition period. So in the U.S., actually, only one in five enrollees in engineering, uh, and CS areas, particularly in CS are, are women. So in, if we, if we do this comparison where we might, we can say that we, we fare better because they have this 20% outcome. We have about 43%. So what, what you're describing is actually what we call a leaky um, tech or STEM pipeline problem. And that's kind of the term used for this, where, um, you know, the pipeline uh, gets leaky uh, across different career stages, as, especially in, in advanced career stages. But um, as we see from the stats, this number is much less um, exacerbated in India. Um, uh, but the fact remains that 14% is in a very good outcome, right? So, um, so, so while the pipeline looks very different depending on you know, which part of the world you look at, um, 
so in India, the numbers are kind of staggering uh, when it comes to enrollment in science and engineering at the doctoral studies level. So women constitute about 3% of the enrollees in science and 6% uh, of the enrollees in engineering, which um, which is you know shockingly, and it's 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 a very it's a very small uh, number. So then, yeah. So going back to your question, uh, so why uh, why do we see this happening in India, where we start off with forty three percent, but ultimately the pipeline gets uh, leaky. So in India, in comparison to the U.S., the pipeline gets leaky at a very later stage. So uh, in in the U.S. Uh, and this is something that I've studied kind of extensively. I, I think the socialization in middle and high school has a significant role to play in the one in five enrollment of women in engineering and CS. Fortunately, in India, that's not the case for us. Um, but uh, attrition happens at a later stage, uh, sort of in the mid-career stage. And women, uh, while women across the world tend to report uh, having to do some kind of a balancing act in balancing their work life and, and their family life in uh, more in, in developing countries and particularly in India, where the <clears throat> social norms um, kind of dictate that women, uh, women's primary responsibility is towards the household this can actually limit uh, their potential uh, because this, if this is accepted by both men and women, it can affect uh, professional decisions and career outcomes in the most productive years. Um, and oftentimes making return, um, returning to STEM careers and occupations and even in academia, very, very difficult. Um, and, and you rightly said yeah, that STEM careers are quite demanding. And as per um, a report I think it was 2016-2017 report from the Niti Aayog. About 30% of the women surveyed in a particular study uh, reported to have stated family commitments as uh, to to be adversely affecting their career outcomes. So in India, I think the number one explanation is is this balancing act. So taking the the childhood responsibilities and the family responsibilities. Uh, take greater priority and uh, we're just uh, not set up. A lot of women do not have that kind of a support to be able to balance both worlds and uh, they ultimately drop out. Going back into the system can be quite a challenge, especially in academia where um, you publish or perish. So a gap year of one one or two years um, can, uh, can, uh, can be quite detrimental um, for, for a woman's um, career prospects in India. Professor, uh, as you mentioned the leaky pipeline, uh, I must ask, uh, how is the gender disparity in the tech sector? From your experience of being an electrical and computer engineering graduate and having worked with a tech firm, have you ever witnessed such gender disparity? What were your experiences with the attrition rates among your colleagues? Yeah, that's, that's also another interesting question. So yes, tech is notoriously known to be competitive, not a very friendly environment, um, for, for women. And I can speak about the Silicon Valley. I, I worked in Canada in high tech, um, and I'll tell you about my experience there. But what we do know is that there is a, uh, prevalent bro culture, right? Which is reported in the Silicon Valley. We all know of the famous, um, rather the infamous James Damore memo. 
And he put forth a biological explanation uh, for women's underrepresentation rather than accepting um, uh, the fact that there is prevalent discrimination in the Silicon Valley. Um, But the fact is the reality is much more nuanced than any one particular explanation. Um, And so so Silicon Valley and and tech areas in, in the West the tech industry is kind of obsessed with, uh, you know, programmers or a programmers and pretty much the entire company culture revolves around idolizing those star programmers or you can call them geeks. So there is this um, geek culture in uh, in tech areas. Personally, having worked in um, in the tech sector for some time, I was actually one of two women in a team of 21 uh, individuals. So two women, 19 uh, men and when the one of so the, the only other woman when she went on maternity leave that left me as the lone woman in that area and this is um, I mean racially I, I was a racial minority I was also um, you know the only female um, so that that creates I, I wouldn't say it was a chilly work environment so to speak but um, you know having a healthier representation of women is is always a good thing because we often noticed um, that they would break out into, you know, their gaming rooms and um, the men and they were men of all different ages and groups and so on. And they would like to talk about cars. And that's something that I really had very little interest in. Not that I I, I wanted to talk about um, Barbies or anything like that. But, you know, those are prevailing stereotypes in the West that you know, boys, cars and girls, Barbie dolls or whatever. But um, uh, as such, I mean, in terms of bias, I, I don't think they make it as uh, I, I didn't sense that any kind of discrimination. It was just that when I moved to a more uh, racially and more gender diverse team um, after a while, I think uh, I just had better working relationships with uh, my colleagues and we could go out for lunches. We could talk about a lot more than just cars. So that was uh, that was something that I quite um, cherished. Now, in terms of, um, you know, just some some facts about gender disparities in the tech sector. So if I were to, um, so maybe I can talk about um, you know, this text analytics firm called Textio. So Textio actually helps tech firms with their um, job descriptions and framing their job descriptions. And they analyzed, um, in a recent study, they analyzed tech uh, descriptions, uh, uh, job descriptions by uh, top companies, Netflix, Uber, and so on. And they found that uh, women were disproportionately more attracted to job descriptions that used uh, words such as, um, you know, friendly and um, and teamwork and so on. Whereas uh, certain other companies, uh, Netflix in particular has, and Uber has this <clears throat> hustling culture. And uh, they they paint a picture of a very Hobbesian environment where people are pitted against each other. So they even portray that in their job descriptions where they have words like cutting cutthroat and, uh, you know, wickedly competitive. And so these kinds of words tend to attract women a lot less. Um, And, and, um, you know, companies like Slack do a good job with... um, with recruiting women and so on. So there is there is a problem uh, in, in Silicon Valley. I can't speak to the patterns in, in India per se, but I think that would make for a very interesting study. But uh, I think it's very well reported uh, in, this, in the media. 
and uh, companies are trying to remedy this um, through various programs and so on. But the fact remains that, you know, Silicon Valley um, is notoriously competitive and um, it has this problem. And it's something that now a lot of companies have come to acknowledge publicly. Yeah. So, ma'am, in your research, uh, you have also examined the various re- reasons for underrepresentation of women in technology. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, le- let me first start with perhaps the state of the art. Uh, and one particular area that I have been interested in is looking at one of the explanations that I talked about earlier, which is um, whether there are gender differences in preferences for competition or taste for competition. So do men and women uh, have innately different preferences for competition? So there was a famous uh, paper uh, not too long ago in, in, I think the year was 2007, a quarterly journal of economics paper, QJE paper, uh, in 2007, in which, um, I, and I'll, I'll describe the study in a bit, but the key finding uh, was that women tend to um, uh, be dissuaded by competition much more so than men and men tend to overcompete. and the details of the it's a very interesting lab experiment where men and women are recruited to participate in a simple sort of arithmetic problem kind of task and uh, and this is a task that men and women did equally well on it was a simple addition kind of problem um, once they were put through this task both uh, you know, groups of men and women were asked to choose whether they would want to be compensated uh, in a piece rate compensation regime in which they would get 50 cents for every correct answer versus a competitive regime where you're pitted against someone else where you would get $2, right? So, so four times the amount you would get in a piece rate compensation regime. And what uh, the this, the economists found in this experiment was that women were much less likely to participate in competition. Uh, and in fact, 75% men actually chose to enter the competitive regime, whereas only 35% women of similar performance. So remember, we, 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 we were able to evaluate performance earlier. So only 35% of those women actually chose to compete um, in the tor- tournament regime or in the competitive regime. And in fact, what they found was that more overconfident men, so men who actually uh, did not perform very well earlier on, they tend to sort into the competitive environment, whereas capable men sort out of it. So this was a very interesting uh, paper uh, because the implications of this are, are quite clear. So if we connect the dots, if this paper is telling us that women don't prefer competition, uh, and if indeed this is true and generalizable across various occupations and fields of study and so on, what this means is that generally speaking, on average, this would keep women out of high paying jobs and leadership roles and and so on. Right. So um, what motivated me to study this was that I after reading this paper, first of all, I was quite fascinated but I, I was wondering whether and to what extent this particular finding that women tend to be more dissuaded by competition or have, um, have a lesser taste for competition, how, to what extent is this finding generalizable to all fields of study? Because based on my personal experience, having gone through uh, an undergrad program in engineering in Canada, I found that 
A, yes, women were quite uh, underrepresented in my program and generally speaking in computer science and engineering. But um, I found that they were quite competent and uh, quite competitive, actually. So, um, in fact, I, with my co-author, we designed a novel experiment. And this is a field experiment where we onboarded men and women of all career stages, about 100,000 of them, and fields of study, uh, alumni and students. So it was a large representative population. And we asked them to uh, whether they wanted to participate in an opportunity to design and innovate around the Internet of Things. So they were to design and prototype some kind of an IoT application. Um, and so based on the adoption patterns, right, what we noticed was, and as we had expected, you know, uh, women on average were about 20% less likely to participate than men in the overall population. Um, however, that only held, that was only true for non-STEM men and women, right? Um, so when we stratified the sample and we looked at STEM men and women and non-STEM men and women, we found that um, in non-STEM areas, women had a 27% reduction in their participation compared to males, whereas in STEM areas, um, men and women were statistically, you know, the results were indistinguishable. In other words, um, they had, they were equally likely to participate um, in in this particular activity, and we could overrule explanations such as um, you know in, inherent quality. So we had data on um, the grades and overall academic performance and so on. Opportunity costs so, uh, around child rearing, um, and our findings suggest that, and our findings are sort of consistent with STEM men and women being more similar in their taste for competition, whereas non-STEM men tend to uh, be overconfident and tend to overcompete. So that was, um, you know, a neat uh, result uh, because uh, we were able to show through this experiment that, you know, this finding isn't quite as generalizable as we might be compelled to, to think or we might believe. But in fact, of those women who do sort into STEM areas, um, they are equally if not more uh, competitive as uh, as their uh, male counterparts yeah professor as you talked about competitiveness uh, to what extent would you say that these gender differences in competitiveness are socially constructed are we unknowingly conditioning young men and women to react differently to competitive working environments what are your thoughts on this yeah, that's that's an excellent question. And actually, I'll tell you about uh, a very fascinating study by two economists, uh, Yuri Gnizi and his co-author. Um, so they set about to study this this exact issue. So is it nature or is it nurture? In other words, um, you know, are people conditioned uh, to to be more or less competitive? Or is it just that in the, there are innate preferences or tastes for competition in which men and women tend to just starkly differ. And um, so to study this, they actually um, decided to go all around the world from, uh, I believe they are researchers in California, uh, to the Khasi tribe in Meghale, which is actually a matrilineal society. And they had to find uh, a control group, or uh, which was a patrilineal society. And this is another tribe. And it had to be similar um, to some extent in that, um, you know, these people have had held on to their culture and their 
um, uh, you know, the tribal values and so on. They, they've been living that way for, for, for many, many years, for centuries. So this was a tribe in Africa called the Maasai tribe. And they repeated the canonical experiment. What they did was, rather than introducing them to some kind of an arithmetic problem, um, they asked men and women in, in both these tribes to throw a tennis ball into a bucket from a distance of about, I think it was about 8 to 10 feet. And they were told, so once they did this, uh, they found, uh, and they were told that they could receive a compensation about about uh, $1.50 USD uh, if they were to just participate in the peace rate regime or $4.50 if they were to participate against a competitor and if they were to win. And what they found surprisingly was that 50% of the men in Maasai uh, so the patriarchal society chose to compete, but only 26% of the women uh, chose to compete in that society. Uh, on the other hand, in the Khasi tribe, the numbers were actually uh, just the, quite the opposite. So in Khasi, 54% Khasi women chose competition in comparison to only 39% men. So uh, this was quite interesting because in other words, what this shows is that it isn't about uh, nature, but it's actually about nurture and that society can play a very important role in shaping our proclivity and our inclination towards competition. And, and therefore, there's hope that we can engineer and shape societies in ways that um, don't lead men and women to believe that uh, they are any less competitive. Right. So it's it's a it's a social construct to to some extent is uh, was the key finding in this particular experiment. Yeah. Uh, so professor, uh, as we talk about the nature versus nature paradox, I, I just wanted to ask. In recent research, it has been suggested that gender disparity is much more pronounced in the developed Western countries where despite the country scoring higher on the gender equality index, relatively lesser percentage of women pursue STEM careers. What do you think about this apparent gender equality paradox? Yeah, this is actually something very interesting and something like that I came across as I was uh, going into more and more depth into this topic. And I wondered what are the numbers like in India? And of course, we know that the numbers aren't anywhere close to um, uh, the numbers in the US. So when I was studying uh, this topic in the U.S., I knew that one in five, one in every five women uh, enrollee, one in every five enrollees in, in STEM is, uh, is tends to be a woman. We know that in India, it's a much healthier representation. In fact, um, two psychologists in 2018 wrote a paper about this. And uh, what they did was they looked at a wide range of countries uh, that were ranked on the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index. And um, they looked at STEM participation or enrollment um, in, in these countries. And what they found was, yeah, precisely what, what you're talking about, which is that um, in more developed countries, um, you know, there's, there's a stark disparity, gender disparity in STEM enrollment. Whereas in countries like India, the numbers and outcomes in, and also in Algeria, um, they are much better. And so they set about to understand why that's the case. And um, I think the way they interpreted and from from my memory of um, you know what how they interpreted this uh, particular data set was that in more gender equal countries that have uh, naturally a large social safety net, women tend to be more free to pursue 
other areas such as arts and so on if they're not truly interested in STEM. And they could worry less about being paid less compared in comparison to STEM areas. Whereas in, in countries where um, there's greater gender uh, inequality, STEM careers can be um, a clear path to financial freedom um, in, in such environments. And therefore, um, in, and it's an empirical question as to how many people who sought into STEM, regardless of gender, in India are truly interested um, in, in those areas. Um, I would hazard a guess that the vast majority of men and women who do enter engineering and medicine, you know, the two typical career options after your grade 12, um, they, they it's just for a better pathway to, you know, long-term uh, career prospects. Uh, and in fact, I sit through uh, a lot of MBA interviews and I, I tend to ask this question a lot of engineering, uh, you know, students who are applicants and have gone through engineering programs. And uh, they tend to be uh, honest about these things and they say, well, they would rather have studied something else and they, they might have uh, been worn out and so on. In fact, I wanted to ask you, Abhijit, so were you really interested in engineering or uh, was it that, okay, that was your ticket to the IIM? Uh, and that's why, or perhaps you were told from friends, by friends and your parents that uh, that's the way to go. It's engineering or medicine. Don't think about anything else. What was it, what was it like for you? In my case, ma'am, I would say uh, engineering was a clear choice for me. All throughout my childhood, I had been interested in STEM subjects and excelled at them. My parents never forced me to choose one career path over the other, but uh, then I then again, I understand that it is like that for a majority of students in our country. And actually, it was me who kind of forced my parents to enroll me in a coaching far away from my hometown. Now, talking about the career shift from engineering to management, when I got into my undergrad college, I saw that many students were pursuing jobs which were unrelated to their majors. Also, I personally found that there weren't many R&D kind of jobs in India for my major. Side by side, I was also introduced to management subjects through electives in my undergrad college. And then I thought maybe, you know, I can also have, make my career in management. And so I appeared for CAT. I oh, okay. Well, 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 that's good to hear. That's good to hear um, because, uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, Ideally, we should all be uh, studying things that uh, you know we're truly interested in. But often, what happens is, uh, let's say you know your J rank ends up um, mm-hmm. uh, putting you into civil engineering, but you were truly interested in computer science or perhaps in mechanical engineering. Uh, that shift can be much more difficult in India than it is in the West. So, having gone through the undergrad in in Canada, for example, I noticed a lot of my friends in their first year they did not declare a major. Um, and that was because they were experimenting. They were trying out different subjects. So they would take, you know, philosophy on the one hand, economics, and they would take maybe a microbiology course or a you know basic biology course. And they would truly get a sense of what they were um, deeply interested in, because a lot of times we don't often know um, uh, beforehand what we're truly interested in. Uh, and that shift is uh, is much easier there than it is in India, where there might be this mismatch uh, between your between your interests and what you end up really doing, uh, and that manifests in the long term in attrition um, in in STEM areas, both for males and females, and they 
end up getting into some other uh, career pathways and so on. Um, in a lot of cases, it's management, which is great for us at IMB because we get excellent students. Um, but but that's what it's uh, what it's like in in the West, and, and I, I can compare and contrast these two worlds. Um, the good news is that I guess um, women in those uh, more developed countries, because of the large social safety net, um, can can actually pursue other are more free to pursue other kinds of areas like writing, arts, and so on, drama, media if they're truly not interested, because precisely because of this large social safety net, which ensures that, you know, you're not going to be in a, uh, you know, in a rut at the end of this. Whereas in India, it, it, it can be challenging to both convince your parents and to convince yourself that uh, a degree in arts uh, could be the way forward. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in that pathway, although uh, I personally uh, really like the arts as well and humanities. Uh, but but you know what it's like. So there, I think people are sort of more free, and that explains why um, we see fewer women in um, in the West pursuing STEM careers because they simply go to other options. And that might be a manifestation of true preferences or true interests in certain areas. Where in India, um, you know, because there's this there's this factor to you know there's this pressure to succeed. And you know this is a STEM pathway can increase your odds of getting into um, uh, you know a certain strata of society and um, you know to be successful. Um, people who are not interested may also be sorting into these kinds of careers. Uh, so so I think that that was an interesting study. Um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, hopefully in the future these numbers would change and people who are truly interested. Um, in in STEM careers would want to stay in STEM careers in India rather than um, you know moving around and hopefully we can uh, resolve this mismatch problem as well to some extent. Yeah, uh, that's a quite a profound answer, Professor. Especially the part about uh, the true interest that you bring up. So that this leads me to my next question: uh, What can different stakeholders like corporates, governments, and societies do? to decrease this gender disparity. Recently, the Indian government introduced reservation of 20% for girl students in the IITs. Do you think such initiatives are more of a bandage than a solution? How should we approach this problem? Yeah, so it's actually sort of unfortunate that women, um, uh, uberly qualified women have to leave their careers and sort of do their balancing act. Some, of course, out of their own volition, but some of them really want to um, uh, manage both sides, but they may not have the support system. And and this is untapped, and, they, and there's attrition at the end of the, the, the day, and this untapped potential, um, uh, it's just, uh, you know, we, we need to bring them back into the workforce. A friend um, who actually had to, um, uh, to leave uh, her research uh, because uh, she had two children and she now uh, went back into a lab and the Kiran scheme by the DST actually provides funding opportunities for women who want to return. So that was um, uh, quite heartening to see that there are such uh, opportunities for women who do want to return after a break. Um, I know that in the US, now coming to corporates, um, there, you know, Tech companies do organize boot camps for girls in middle school and high school for both girls and boys, but the, the focus tends to be more for girls. 
to introduce them to coding, to introduce them to science and so on. Um, I, so that's that's a development in, in the right direction. Workplaces uh, could obviously be more supportive uh, for uh, STEM professionals, particularly women, um, and they could create a more conducive environment so women can balance their work and family life. So flex schedules, uh, daycare support, um, parental leave for women, of course, but also for men. Um, on your second question uh, about, um, you know, the 20 percent girls in, you know, increasing representation of women in the IITs, I think that's a step in the right direction. But um, it, it could be a double edged sword. Um, so one has to remember that, OK, so the more women that enter the STEM programs, we are fixing that leaky pipeline um, problem in the long term. And we also create several role models for future generations and we also are fixing this lack of fit, right? So this perception problem that women don't belong in STEM. So by having more and more women in these areas and more women in leadership positions and uh, higher up in the organizations, whether it's research or corporates and so on, is is a, is a very good thing. Uh, and the hope is that out of those who enter, many will eventually stay. Um, it also creates a more level playing ground for women uh, who in their early, you know, in their preparation for the IITs who may not be able to um, go to, let's say, Kota or wherever the next big place is for coaching these days for months uh, because their family would not for security reasons um, and they cannot travel extensively. So it, it creates a level playing ground for um, girls who um, cannot compete at that level with uh, with men. Uh, now, hopefully, with you know, with the pandemic and everything going online, it will be interesting to see how, um, with everything going online, this this whole uh, paradigm changes with women having you know an equal footing with men. Um, so, so that'll be interesting. Now, the flip side, though, and this is the same issue with tech companies hiring for diversity. So, this can backfire in in many ways, especially in tech companies. There have been reports that you know people, uh, men, uh, and uh, they they might find that women or they might think that women are less capable or competent uh, in comparison to their male counterparts. So uh, while while this is a step and this is welcomed, um, so the messaging and framing around these changes is equally important because things take a while to normalize after you initially institutionalize them. But I'm hoping that at least at the education level in the IITs, this is not going to be um, a very big problem and uh, it's not going to be insurmountable. Yeah. Professor, as we inch toward the end of the podcast, uh, I'll ask this question. Often it is said that having a role model or mentors is very important in shaping one's career choices. So ma'am, who were your idols who inspired you to pursue a career in STEM? And how can other women be inspired to do the same? Yeah, so role models do matter a lot. In fact, um, a lot of uh, you know research suggests that having role models can increase participation and engagement in STEM areas, um, and women uh, women representation in upper echelons of um, an organization or a firm, um, it, it can significantly improve diversity outcomes. In my case, entering into engineering um, at that at that time, I was inspired by uh, Kalpana Chawla. Although I didn't do anything remotely related to um, her area, but um, I think her story was truly inspiring. And at the same time, um, 
deeply saddening uh, you know the uh, it was heartbreaking to to see um, how the events unfolded um but today and and i'm talking about you know when i did my engineering so this is way back when but today there are a lot more women in science and technology role you have gagandeep kang you have so many role models now in both science and technology um which is which is fantastic and it's great um so i i think um, you know looking at them and and a lot of women are are being inspired to take up careers in science and technology which is uh, fantastic and lastly uh, i must ask ma'am uh, in terms of your own research on gender disparity what is the ne- what is next where do we go from right so after i moved uh, to india um, i got myself involved with teaching in uh, the goldman sachs 10000 women program at nsr cell at imb and i also get to interact so i teach in that program um, and i also get to interact with women in the uh, wsp programs again at nsr cell and uh, i i noticed that it's so important in india to have conversations around networking opportunities for women um access to mentors financial support advice and so on so i'm 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 very happy to be um uh, a part of a tiny bit of a part of their stories and uh, in if it's uh, of any help um you know in, in interacting with them and learning about their challenges and getting access to venture capital and getting access to um mentors and networking opportunities so this excited me quite a bit as a researcher and i guess it's a natural segue for me to move from you know gender disparities in stem to look at um, you know the the business side of things and uh, particularly the gender gap in high growth venture um, entrepreneurship in india um, because um, studies so actually the census conducted in uh, 2014 um, it's according to the census about only 14% of women indian women actually run or own businesses so this number can be much much higher so in fact i'm designing a study to um, to to look at uh, the the biases that women face in uh, getting venture capital funding um and through uh, again this is i use an experiment um and so we're designing the study and uh, the the hope is to first understand the the kinds of biases that arise in um uh in in pitching right uh, for venture capital um and sort of through the study to also look at ways to address and mitigate these biases if we can uh and uh, so i think i'm quite excited about that so that's kind of the next um uh next step in my research so moving from stem areas to entrepreneur women's entrepreneurship which really excites me and i really like interacting with um the women uh, in the in the women's program at Goldman Sachs um it's uh, it's a very exciting opportunity for me as a researcher at this stage yeah uh, well, thank you so much professor neelam for your time this was a very interesting and thought provoking discussion which i'm sure our listeners will enjoy it was a pleasure to have you with us yeah thanks thanks uh, so much for having me and um, yeah i look forward to coming back and maybe talking about this entrepreneurship study at some point uh, down the down the line thank you yeah so that's it from the imb podcast today do send in your comments feedback and suggestions we will be happy to read them have a great day everyone